Welcome to Genesee Valley Church, where we are loving God, loving people, and loving life. This is the year 2022, and this is the year that you are going to bring change into your life. We are praying and believing that this year helps you develop a heart of God for yourself, for your home, and for your family. We know that you will be blessed by the message and the word that God has for you today. Let us help you answer your call and make this your year. pursue God passionately. This is the year that my marriage gets on fire. This is the year that my home finds harmony. This is the year that I experience financial stability. This is the year that I fulfill the plan of God for my life. Maybe this is the year that I'm going to answer the call. Everyone said Amen, amen. Well, today we're starting a new series, and it's simply called or entitled Heart for the House. Heart for the House. And so, with the direction that God began to stir in my heart, uh, it started out a certain way as I began to prepare for this first message. And uh, as I continued to get into my message, it kind of took a turn. And so we'll get to that first part of what God began to put on my heart, but then we'll again, we'll address the modification side of it on the first part. But I'm trusting that it's going to be good. Everybody trusted with me? Believe in God for, for, for ears to hear? Amen. Well, you know, when it comes to uh, the subject of 9-11, obviously we remember those that lost their life uh, on this tragic day. And also with that being said, we also celebrate those individuals that were the first responders, right? That went down there and, and sacrificed even their lives in some cases and just was there on ground zero to help those in this tremendous tragedy. And obviously, again, we recognize the tragedy after the fact. We celebrate the heroes that came to the rescue after the fact. But one have been an amazing thing if we had foreknowledge of what was coming. If we had foreknowledge of what was coming, then we can be forearmed, right? So in other words, had we known that the attack was coming, had we known that there were going to be people that was going to lose their life that day, had we not had the opportunity, would it have not been better to share or be prepared on the front side so that either it didn't happen or there would be less casualties, right? And so as we start to talk about the heart for the house, I hope that you have ears to hear because I believe that God is going to begin to do a work on the inside of our hearts because God wants us to embrace what He's doing in this hour. And what he is doing is he's calling his church to arise. He's calling his church to awaken. He's calling to his people, come home. It's a time for us to have a heart of repentance. And when we talk that way, uh, that's not a bad thing. 
repentance. It, it makes you feel sometimes as though you're a bad person. Well, I've got to repent. No, you re- realize 1 John 1, 9 says, if uh, we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, sin simply means to miss the mark. Has anybody ever missed the mark in here? Yes. Has anybody missed the mark driving into church today? Maybe so, right? So once again, what does it mean? To repent means to turn around and go a different direction. And so that's what God is endeavoring for us as the church to embrace and lean into into this hour. And I realize that we live in a culture that does not like accountability, does not like truth. Tell me what I want to hear. Make me feel the way that I want to feel. By all means, don't point the spotlight on me because I don't want to be accountable. Talk to somebody else, right? But listen, how many of you know that when it comes to the church, we have allowed that to creep into the church as well? Where we just don't want to be accountable and therefore we continue to live in the same manner or the same pattern of life. But the love of God, I said the love of God, please hear this. And everything that you hear this morning, I want you to hear it from the heart of love. Because once again, if you had a loved one that was killed or lost on 9-11, you would have wanted to know beforehand, before the end came, so that you could have made some preparations, right? And so what am I doing? I'm simply sharing the heart of God so that we as God's people can begin to make some adjustments. And for that matter, if God can begin to make some adjustments in our heart, and as my wife said, that, that, that our eyes are beginning to be opened and enlightened so we begin to know the reality of this walk with Jesus, we'll begin to see other people differently. We'll not only begin to see them as the person that just rubs me wrong or gets on my last nerve. They're the individual that needs Jesus and they're going to hell apart from him. Come on, somebody. I'm telling you, God wants to birth in us a heart that is madly and passionately in love for him. Amen. In fact, for that matter, isn't it interesting that in this culture that we live in, we live in a culture that we seem to always want to have this vibrato, you know, as as males, you know. I want to be tough. I want to be rugged. I want to be respected, right? You know what I mean? And, and sometimes it's just a matter, well, not sometimes, most of the time, it's a matter of our pride, right? For instance, I, I'll give you an example. I, I was cutting my grass just this, oh, a couple weeks ago, and I was down in my ditch cutting the grass, and I had my earbuds in, and my tractor's a diesel, so the tractor's loud anyways, and the music's going in my ear. And so, as I'm cutting the grass, the grass is being blown up into the road. Well, obviously, I'm looking down the road, and any time that a car comes down the road, uh, I stop and stop the mower so I don't blow anything or rocks or something, whatever. I just stop. And so, I'm way down in the ditch, and I'm actually kind of on the angle like this, and I see this truck starting to come and slow down, and I turned off the mower, and, you know, I'm waving at him, and then he comes up, and he stands right there, opens up his window, and he's like... And I can't hear him because the tractor's going in. My earbuds are in. And I'm sitting there looking at him like, are you really talking to me about the grass that's in the road? And he's like, and so I just kind of gave him a look. And then I just went back, started mowing again. And I'm like, the nerve of that guy. What's my point in saying that? Just because I'm a pastor doesn't mean that I don't have a 
chip on the shoulder sometimes. You know what I mean? It's like you want to come into my yard, talk about my grass. That's my road right there. I don't care if you're driving on my road. Stop driving on my road. I don't care. <laughs> you know what I mean? Does that make sense? I mean, we all have opportunities. That may not have been a good example, but my point is that we all have opportunities just to get in the flesh, not act right. It's a matter of our pride. And when it comes to this Christian living, we think that it's a mamby-pamby, weak, soft, wristed personality. I'm telling you what, Jesus was not a, a soft man. I said Jesus was not a soft man. He was the most rugged, manly, masculine man. And therefore, you might look at him as being passive when you read the Bible. But I'm telling you, whether you look at him as being passive in the Scripture, there is coming a day when he's coming on a horse, a sword in his hand, and a look in his eye. And no man or woman is ever going to say, Jesus is a soft Jesus, because he's coming with a whole different agenda. Amen. You understand what I'm saying? So once again, as a man... As a woman of God, it is not a weak thing to recognize, oh, God, I've missed it. Man, I've messed up. God, I need to disrepent and turn. Come on, has anybody ever gotten off course before? I mean, have you ever been driving down the road and it's a long journey and you recognize that you got off course? Uh, I don't know if you like driving. I don't like driving any more than I have to. So that means if I get off course, I want to get back on course as quickly as I can because I don't like driving. Amen? But I, there might be some individuals, you know, they just keep on driving. Didn't want to tell the wife that they took a wrong turn and they're supposed to be in Florida and now they're in Alabama. <laughs> you know, what are we doing here? I don't know. <laughs> We've got to be willing to just recept, be receptive and say, God, you're working on my heart. You're stirring my heart. And God, I just want to know you and serve you. You get what I'm saying this morning? And so I, I guess all that was to say that some things that we're going to share with you today is from the heart of love, not to bow, beat, not to make anyone feel bad about anything. It's God is arresting our hearts because he's wanting us to make some shifts and follow passionately after him. Notice what it says here in Psalms 122. Psalms 122, verse 1, it says, I was glad when they said to me, Let us go into the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, Let us go to the house of the Lord. I said that the, the, the series title is Heart for the House. And so this scripture right here, the writer says, When it came to going to church, when it came to going to the house of the Lord, he says, it made me glad. In today's culture, I think a lot of people get mad. <laughs> the husband dragging the family to church. The wife nagging the husband. You know, the pastor telling you you ought to be in church. Man, just, I'm tired. I don't want to go to church today. <laughs> Come on. How many of you know pastor don't want to go to church some days? You know what I'm saying? It's, it's his life. But he says, I was glad when they said, let us go into the house of the Lord. So in other words, there ought to be a heart of gladness. When we come to church, when we come to the house of the Lord, is it just religious service? Is it just out of tradition? Or is there something there that I'm coming to receive? Am I coming to have an appointment with God? Amen. I'm coming to have an appointment and a, an encounter with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And when I leave, I'm going to leave better than when I came. 
And just maybe, if I'm lucky enough, I get the opportunity to serve and get to help change somebody else's life because I get to serve. Oh, come on, I get to minister to some little children and they come from a home that they've never known who Jesus is and they just come into the church and I get to introduce these little kids to Jesus. Come on, how many of you know that can make you glad coming into the house of the Lord? Changing eternity because of what God has done. We come and we have an expectation of being with the family of God. We come with an expectation to worship God. We come with an expectation to have an encounter with Jesus. And more importantly, we get to grow in the word of God that introduces us or begins to identify who Jesus is. There was a time in church culture, and it's probably several generations now that it has passed, but there was a time... Some of you will probably remember this. Some of you might like, I, I never went to church during that era. But there was a time when it came to church, we had church clothes. You know what I mean? I mean, we had the closet where it was the suit. You put the suit on and the tie. It got all gussied up or maybe just the button-up shirt and a tie or whatever the case is. I remember when I was a kid, we had church clothes. And these things I hated. I mean, I hated these with a passion because dad always took me to Kenny's shoe store. You know where Kenny's shoe store over there in Beecher? Anybody remember that? Took me over to Kenny's shoe stores. And I said, dad, I want those pair of shoes. And he says, no, you're getting these kind of shoes. I don't like those kind of shoes, but those are your church shoes. You know what I mean? You had church shoes. You had church clothes, right? Now, we have a culture today that's a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more easygoing, and, and that's perfectly fine. Again, I realize we're connecting with all kinds of people. I remember talking with individuals and, they, you know, guys, and they're like, I ain't wearing no monkey suit. I ain't wearing that monkey suit, man. I'm a T-shirt kind of guy, and, and that's okay. You realize God looks at the heart, but my point is this, is that there was a time when coming to church, there was something about it that I prepared going in other words I got ready I put something on there was something different about this day in my appearance because there was more of an intentionality when I came to church now once again you understand that the outward clothes don't do anything about the inward heart I mean you can still have a bad heart and still look good on the outside but my point is again there was some intentionality with going to church does that make sense once again, we would prepare, prepare for church, and there was a time as well when it came to church, there was not a, 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 such a clock consciousness, if you will, right? I mean, nowadays, you know, we're kind of orchestrated and segmented, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that because I believe that we got to be intentional for individuals that maybe are new to church. You know, you don't want to wear them out or think, dear God, i got to spend my whole afternoon at church if I go to church. You know, people are busy. You respect their time and all those kind of things. But there was a time where we were not so conscious of the clock. In fact, there was a time where they had what was called Sunday school. Anybody ever go to Sunday school? I mean, Sunday school was what you did before church started. You would come an hour early, and you would go to Sunday school, and that's where a lot of the kids began to learn a lot of their uh, Bible stories. I mean, uh, today's culture, I mean, hear me in the right way. Today's culture is biblically illiterate. They don't know the Word of God. You talk about, you know, Moses. Who's Moses? You don't know who Moses is? 
You know, again, these Bible, you learned that in Sunday school. And they weren't fairy tales or just stories that sounded good to tell the little kids. No, it was character or the character of God. And it was men and women that trusted God and went through hardships and, and saw God prove faithful through the thick and thin. But once again, there was a, a priority, if you will. People had a heart for the house. You recall that when it comes to God, God said in his commandments, you could even say the law, it was Old Testament or Old Covenant, but the, the Ten Commandments still are applicable to today. And if you recall, he said, remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Or in other words, set time aside. This is my day. I want you to worship and honor me on this day. And keep it holy or set apart. Right? What did that mean? Once again, people had a greater intentionality that this is the Lord's day. And I'm going to give him the first part. of I'm going to go worship God. And there was just a greater awareness. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? Some of you, once again, are from, from that background. So in other words, what I'm saying is this, is that going to church, people were guarded or they had a heart for the house. It wasn't an obligation. It was something that was a priority in our life. And we built our family upon it because it was a part of the foundation of our, of our life. Notice what it says here over in Joshua 24. Joshua 24, verse 15, it says, And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord... Choose for yourself this day who you'll serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whom, whose land you do dwell. He says, but as for me and my house, notice what he said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Notice he did not say, as for me. Did you hear what I said? He didn't say, as for me. He said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And also notice what he said. He said, choose this day. He said, either on this side of the river or that side of the river. Or in other words, choose a side. What side are you on? I said, what side are you on? I mean, last year... Uh, the Rams won the Super Bowl, right? Had a, a quarterback by the name of Stafford, right? And, and he came from the Detroit Lions. But now they offered you a contract and they said, now you could go play for the Detroit Lions if you like, or you can go over there and play for the Rams. Which do you want to choose? Choose this day who you want to go play for. Who's going to go sign up with Detroit Lions right now? <laughs> Maybe some of you, Right? I mean, Lord knows you wouldn't go to Ohio State. You wouldn't go. <laughs> uh, I don't even think Arkansas. I don't know about that one. <laughs> oh, oh, I got to pick out what I can. But are you getting what I'm saying? He said, choose. Choose this day what side you're on. Are you on the winning side or are you on the defeated side? And he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So if he says that me and my house will serve the Lord, doesn't it stand to reason that my house 
is a reflection of what the house of God should look like. And on the reverse, shouldn't the house of God be a reflection of what my house looks like? They ought to be a mirrored image, right? Why? Because it's in the house of God that I begin to be equipped, that I begin to grow, that I begin to to find the plan and the purpose of God for my life and where I begin to uh, build the kingdom of God and change eternity. Well, isn't that what my household is all about? Is to help equip and train my kids and to help them know their purpose and plan for God and to help them know that, man, God made them for such a time as this to change eternity. Right? Amen. So once again... To have a heart for the house, our house, our home should be a reflection of what the house of God looks like. But as I said, isn't it interesting how so many things have crept into the church? I said so many things have crept into the church that is tainted and tarnished really what God's heart and God's intent was for the local church to the point where it's, it's something that's just optional for our lives. But God said, this is something that I want to meet you. I want to do life with you. And I want to impact your family. God's wanting us to begin to have a heart for the house. I remember when I was a, a little boy, I was probably about the age of, oh, probably about the age of maybe six or seven uh, my grandfather and my grandparents were going to a church. And when they were at this church, again, my background is from a Pentecostal background. Some of you might figure that out by now. But uh, they invited us to come over to this little church. It's called Victory Tabernacle. And when we got there, I remember sitting toward the back of the church, and there was one of those preachers that he was just a fireball, and he, he spit and preached and sweated, had a little hanky always wiping you know, his head as he was preaching and screaming. And, and then, you know, the worship would break out. And then there was this little old lady that, without fail, she'd always jump out in the middle of the aisle and start dancing around like a chicken. And I'm thinking, dear God, that is the weirdest thing I've ever seen. I mean, this woman just dances around like a chicken. You know, and, and I, I, I'm of the firm persuasion, you know, that we can be animated in our worship towards God. I believe that there's right times and wrong times. I believe that we got to be sensitive to the, the audience that we have and all those kind of things. But my point is this, is that we went to a church where God was moving and people were hungry. And you could say, you know what, there was that goofy little lady that danced around like a chicken. But I remember we invited my other grandparents that were unsaved at the time. And that still, that little lady that danced around like a chicken was still there. But I remember grandma and grandpa came and they gave their heart to Jesus. And they came back a few different times. And my grandpa Bill, I can remember, I can still see the picture vividly in my mind. Him, I believe it was like right in the middle of the service. It was like the most awkward, inopportune time. It's like, you know, it was just like a kind of an interruption kind of thing, but God was working on him so much so, he came down to the front. We used to call this the altar, you know. He came down to the front and was just wailing and weeping and just surrendering his heart to Jesus. He didn't care who was there and who was looking around. He was having a God moment. Jesus, I found you and you've rescued me and I've given my life to you. And I can still see it to this day when he got up, the Lucky Strike cigarettes were still laying on the altar as he went back to his seat. Because not only did he surrender his life, he surrendered just all of him and said, God, I don't want that. I give it to you. 
What's my point? Is that when God is moving, you might get caught up in all the fanfare of things that are happening, but when God is moving, God will still have the opportunity to meet people's lives and change lives. And like I said, is 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 little as that little church was, that was where God met me. I can remember again being just a little boy, and some of you have heard this story before, but I remember the pastor called us young people up, young kids coming up, and we were standing up in the front, and I'm thinking, okay, he's called us up, he's going to pray for us. And then he said the most unusual thing. He said, now y'all raise your hands and begin to worship God. And I'm thinking, well, I don't do that. That's just what the big people do. You know, the chicken lady. That's what she does. <laughs> I'm like, I've never raised my hands before. I've never worshiped God like that. Hey, man, come on, somebody raise your hand at me. Some of you are still afraid to be Pentecostal, man. Don't even raise your hand, I'm telling you. <laughs> I'll get you one of these days. Anyways, called us down to the front, and I said, okay, I'll just raise my hands, and I just began to worship God as innocently and as sincerely as I could as a little boy. And when I did, I can remember the presence of God coming all over me and just began to weep under the presence of God. And again, I remember going back to seat, my seat and I asked my mom, why am I crying? And it was one of those things I wasn't fearful. It was such an overwhelming feeling of love and I just didn't know what it was. And I said, well, what, why am I crying? And she says, that's just God loving on you. And it was in that moment that a little boy, God called him into the ministry. At a young age, I knew that I was called into ministry. But I'm telling you, the devil had his way of trying to derail and distract me because he knew there was a plan and a call and a purpose on my life. And I remember when I was a young man, or a young boy rather, just shortly after that, I began to have tremendous anxiety, just panic attacks in my stomach, and it was just horrible. And I got victory over that after a couple years being a young boy. But I remember as a young man, I'm talking about being in the church, being in, having a heart for the house and being in the right place at the right time. I was in a, a, a different church at this time as a teenager. And one time there was the youth pastor. He asked, he says, who are y'all listening to? He said, who lights your fire? And a couple of the young teenagers says, well, I like this guy. He's really being used by God. And I never heard of the guy. Well, then as I started getting older, I started watching some of the things that he did. And he was being mightily used by God. And I'm like, God, I want to be used like that. It's not about the big crowds, but it's having the ability to impact people's lives. I said, God, I want to do that. And he says, you will. And I remember traveling. I went to Chicago all by myself just as a young, early teenager, maybe early 20s, went to Chicago all by myself to go to one of his meetings, one of his crusades. I sang in his choir, went down to Indianapolis, Indiana, all by myself as a young man, just singing in the choir because I wanted to be close to the ministry. And at one particular time when I was coming home from Indianapolis, that panic attack hit me like it did when I was a little boy. Remember I said that the devil tried to take me out Multiple times, but God had a plan and a call that got connected through the local church. I was driving home and that panic attack hit me. And as I'm driving, I'm on 69, probably in the Perry area, heading home. And as that panic attack hit me, it was almost like a demonic presence sat on top of me. 
And I said, I am the healed of the Lord. And I don't have to receive this. And I command you to go in Jesus' name. And in that moment, Jesus appeared next to me, put his hand on my stomach and said, peace be still. And immediately the symptoms left and he was gone. And I'm not saying you have to have an encounter with Jesus. That doesn't change whether or not I serve God or not. My point is this, is that there was a young man, that, a boy that was touched and called into ministry as a young child in the house of God that still remembered as a teenager to call on the name of Jesus and Jesus came running. There's an encounter that we can have of knowing Him because He loves us so much. You cannot run far enough. You cannot go deep enough. You cannot hide in the dark, dark enough that Jesus' love won't find you. Because He has a plan and a purpose and a call for your life. And you live at such a time where God needs you in this hour. You talk about living the great adventure. This is the most greatest adventure of life and it's the Christian life of walking with him living a life of faith amen once again we saw that the Lord said choose this day whom you'll serve make a decision as to what you'll do I said that we live in a culture that has impacted the church but you realize that hungry people will feed when they're hungry. If you're hungry, it don't matter how ugly and how hard and how difficult times get. If you're hungry for Jesus, you'll go after Jesus. In the culture of today, what is it telling us? It's what the Bible has told us all along. It says there's coming a day when they'll call evil good and good evil. Those are the days that we're living in and that has crept into the church. We live in a culture today where they say, you know, there is no winning, there is no losing. You just get an honorable mention and everybody does a good job. Well, what happens? You don't learn accountability, right? We live in a culture today, and this has happened in my children's school. If you do poorly on the test, we'll just keep taking the test until you get a good grade. In other words, there's no accountability to be accountable and study. Just keep on doing it until you get better. Bad behavior no longer is corrected, it's medicated. No one wants to work in today's culture. No one wants to be held to the standard of accountability. And as I said, that has crept into the church. And to have a heart for the house is to understand that there are house rules. <laughs> Come on, somebody. How many of you know that God's just not going to let you do what you want to do? And it's not because He don't love you, don't care about you. It's simply because He does care about you. He's trying to protect you. Amen. Now, I said to you that t today is going to be a little strong, or you'll have to just love me, if you will, that it's from a heart of love. Let me just share some things with you. And I'm going to forewarn you ahead of time, this is not directed at anybody. This is what I believe God has put on my heart, and I want you just to take it and chew on it, meditate on it, all right? Because God's looking for us to come up higher. And what's at stake is the next generation, right? You know, as I said concerning our culture, we try to protect our kids from everything nowadays. 
if a parent yells at your kid, what do you do? You go up there, or at least there are those that will go up there and say, don't talk to my kid that way. How dare you correct my child, right? If they don't do well in the sport, well, listen, it's the coach's fault, right? I mean, again, we try to guard and protect our children because we don't want to put them in a place of hardship. We've made it so easy for them that they don't know how to have a stick, stiff upper lip. They don't know how to have a strong backbone. They don't know how to have a work ethic. And it all comes back to the house of God that God says, raise up your children in the ways that they'll go. And when they get older, they'll not depart from them. And I said all that concerning the culture of what we live today, how it's crept into the church. And please hear me, I'm getting ready to say what I'm going to say. And that is, is that we try to protect them from everything that is out there under the sun. But we let our culture provoke us and manipulate us to say, you know what? And I'm almost just tempted not to say it because I'm afraid to say it. Well, let me start by saying this. I was watching the, pro, uh, the news the other day, and they asked this question to the expert, the psychologist, the child psychologist. And they said, what's a good age to give your child a cell phone? Well, eight's a good age. Eight's, eight's a good starting age, depending on their maturity. There is no child that is mature enough to handle the power of a cell phone. Now, again, I know this comes right on your front door. And that's not what the intention is. And I'm not telling you what you should or should not do. But I'm saying this, is that there are things that your children are exposed to. And what we end up doing is we say, here you go. Right? And I've had people pressure me. Friends that have said, do your kids have cell phones? And i like, no. Well, why not? Because. And I'm telling you what, my kids don't understand my philosophy. And they will not until they're adults. As much as I try to explain to them, they will not and don't want to understand my heart and expressing that to them. And I've had friends tell me, well, you know your kids are going to be the outcasts. You know kids are going to make fun of them. You know your kid's going to be the only one that will have a cell phone. Well, that's fine. I don't care. They're not your kids. Now, why do I say what I do? Please hear me. For you boys, or boys, you men. In the third grade, back in the day when they used to have the Sears catalog... Remember? We had a little intermission time in our classroom. And us kids would go in the back. And in the back was where the Sears catalog was. And both boys and girls would start flipping through the pages of the Sears catalog. Men, where do you think we went to in the Sears catalog? Where? The lingerie, the bras, the underwear. And third grade. Why? Because there was something that's pulling on you in third grade. And it was just a book. What do you think the cell phones have? Access to every bit of filth that is out there. Well, not my kid. Well, I bet my parents, and I'm going to share with you in just a couple minutes some things that my parents never knew before. 
And they would have said at that time, not my kid. My kid grew up in church. My kid grew up in my home. So what? Your kids aren't with you 24-7. There is the world that's out there and the devil's in the world. And he's got all kinds of covert agents even in the kids' arena. Are you hearing me? You say, well, not my kid. I've got some safeguards on my phone, on their kid's phone, and they won't see that. Do you know how many other kids have phones? And I guarantee you, one kid saying to the next kid, hey, check this out. Look at that. So I'm not saying that you can protect your kid from everything, but boy, it just makes us pause. And once again, I'm not scolding anybody in here for whatever you've done. I just want you to pause and think about how the devil has so brainwashed us. Are you hearing me? And again, oh my goodness, please, please, please don't take this personal because I'm not talking to anybody. It's just... The hour that we live. I grew up in an era that you did not have cell phones. You did not have computers. You had a phone hanging on the wall that you had a party line. And bless God, you didn't use the phone because it was long distance. Are you hearing me? I mean, I got in trouble using the phone. Who are you talking to? How many minutes did you talk? Say what you got to say and get off the phone. Why? Because it costs you five seconds a second, or five seconds, a, a five cents a, a minute. And that phone call cost me two bucks. And here we go, we give our kids $200, or whatever, you know what they are, hundreds of dollars. Here you go. Have access to all kinds of junk. Now I said to you as a kid, I grew up in a Christian home, but you get hanging around the wrong people, even people in church aren't good influences for you sometimes. You know what I'm saying? I remember being in fifth grade. And mom and dad let me go over to a friend's sleepover. Birthday party. Well, they didn't know the family. Fifth grade. It was my first exposure to alcohol. No, they didn't ever know that. Well, obviously, I'm not going to go tell them, hey, Dad, I had my first beer today. Oh, praise the Lord. Right? <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. And my parents hate this when I talk like this because they're like, oh, dear God. And they take it personal for some reason. Just love on them after service, okay? Let them know it's not their fault because they are like, dear God, everybody in the church is looking at me like what kind of parent I was. Listen, just love on them, okay? I understand. So anyways, that was my first exposure to alcohol. Fifth and sixth grade was when I started chewing tobacco and chewed tobacco for a long time. Fifth and sixth grade was when I started smoking cigars. Because back then, you could go to the store and say, my dad wants me to get a pack of cigars for him. Swisher Sweets, please. Swisher Sweets with the wood tips. Right? My wife is saying, you really didn't have to share that in front of our kids. <laughs> what, am I, what am I saying to you? Here's what I'm saying. Is there's all kinds of pitfalls that we, the people of God, the house of God, have to stand at attention 
and be aware that the devil has no respect for you, hates your kids, and just as soon would kill them before they can live out their days and serve the, and fulfill the plan of God for their life. Are you here this morning? I said God is wanting us to step up, to awaken. I'll save, save the next story for next time. I don't have enough time and I'm getting close to the end of my time. Let me finish up with this. You all right? I hope you still love me. Because I, I, again, I, man, sometimes it's hard to preach strong messages. And it's not because you want to beat anybody up. But isn't it in the house at your home? Isn't that where you bring correction if needed? God loves us so much. And I've said things in church sometimes that scared me. I think, dear God, everybody's going to leave the church because of what I just said. Mm. Let me finish up with this last scripture. This is what God gave me to begin with, and we'll start, pick back up next week with this. Talking about a heart for the house. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. This is from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, For this is the message that you've heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Unlike Cain, who was of the evil, or of the evil one, who murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil, and his brother was righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and our sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or his sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This scripture was written to believers. It was written to the church. He said, the first thing that you have to do is love your brothers and your sisters in the house of God. And he says, if you'll love your brothers and your sisters, if you'll have a heart for the house, he said, the world's going to hate you. He said, the world's going to hate you for how you love God. How you love people. God's bringing us back to a place. He's calling us to a place of repentance. Of turning from all the distractions and the busyness of the world. And saying, God, it's a time for a, to have a heart for the house. Where we love our brothers and our sisters. And that that is the expression and the heart of God. We've got work to do, don't we? Will you stand with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed. With every head bowed and every eye closed. With those that are here and those that are watching. I know that I spoke some strong things.
And if you can only understand how difficult it was for me to deliver, but in it, could you hear the heart of God saying, I love you. And if you're here this morning, if you're watching online, and you can feel the pull of God, not pulling you to a religion, not pulling you to tradition of a church, but can you feel the pull of God's heart saying, I want you to come closer. I love you. If you're here and you know that you've been away or been apart or you just, you know that you, you're not where you once were, you're not where you desire to be, then the heart of God is saying, will you repent or will you take a turn? He says, I'll make you right. I'll put you right back where you need to be. With nobody looking around, I want to just give you an opportunity just to respond to an invitation. This is between you and God, but I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Nobody's looking, so you don't have to be embarrassed. I'm not going to call you out, and I'm not going to come visit you afterwards. This is between you and God. But if you'll raise your hand, then I'm going to just pray with you because I know that God has such a wonderful plan and desire and wants to meet you. So on the count of three, if you're here and you say, I feel that pull and I, I'm ready. I want to make that turn. Listen, you don't have to have it figured out. God will help you. On the count of three, would you raise your hand? One, two, three. Would you just raise your hand? I see that hand. I see that hand. You can put it down once you put it up. Anybody else, you'd say, I know God wants me in a better place. I want to be in a better place. Just don't know how to get there. I see that hand. Thank you, sir. Anybody else? I see that hand over there. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Once again, I'm just taking a moment because in this moment, boy, we get nervous and we feel the presence of God pulling. Listen, you don't have to be embarrassed and you don't have to be intimidated. We're here in family. One more time, anybody, just raise your hand up real quick so I can acknowledge it. All right. I'm going to pray this prayer. You just agree with me with your heart. Release your faith. And I know that God's doing a turn. And maybe you're here and you say, you know what? I don't know if I could commit to raising my hand. But if there's something compelling in your heart, just reach out as I pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray over every single individual in this church. I thank you that you're calling us to a closer walk. You're calling us to a deeper place. You're calling us up higher to have fellowship with you. God, this place is not one where you beat us up, where you condemn us, 
where you make us feel bad about ourselves. No, this is where you dust us off, where you raise us up, where, God, you make us feel strong, healthy, and whole, where you restore our joy, where you give us our victory back, where, God, we have hope for life. God, we submit and surrender our hearts, and we say, God, we turn back to you. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Well, that's it. Is this the year where you're going to see some change? Is this the year where you'll see restoration in your family? Or is this the year where you're going to allow God to move in your life? We would love the opportunity to help you in that. If you would like more info or if you have any questions, we want to hear from you. You can contact us on our social media sites or directly through our website at gvchurch.tv. We are Genesee Valley Church. Loving God, loving people, loving life.